Welcome to The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpy, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has over a million listeners around the world. The Common Bridge is available on Substack.com and draws guests and audiences across the political spectrum. Hello, welcome to The Common Bridge. I'm your host, Rich Helpy, and today our guest is Sam Caudill. We're going to be talking about generational issues. The Common Bridge, of course, available free on most podcast outlets. And please do join us at Substack.com for much richer content and fiercely nonpartisan discussion. Sam, welcome. I appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Thanks, Rich, for having me. I'm honored. Every generation since the beginning of time has faced challenges. Responsible generations, of course, have tried to make things better for the next generation. And you know, frankly, every generation has screwed things up because part of the human condition is the solutions for today's issues are often the problems for the next. And we're going to be talking to a successful guy, I believe, from the millennial generation, if we want to put enough labels on that, in Sam Caudill. Yeah, very much from the millennial generation. So Sam, our audience likes to know a little bit about the people coming on the show. So if you don't mind, what were your early days like? Where'd you grow up and what were some of your early experiences? So grew up in a rural Oklahoma town, Cushing, Oklahoma, around 9,000 people. And with a lot of family around, being able to walk or ride my bike to my grandparents, my cousins, I was a big part of life. And we had some acreage as well. So I grew up exploring the woods. That was kind of my my safe place as a kid. Um, very early in my childhood, I got into very competitive gymnastics, and that kind of started to shape my worldview very early. So just seeing the if I, if I put in effort into something that I like, that, I'm, that I enjoy, that I'm curious about, I will often have rewards. And growing, growing up in a small conservative town, hard work is the way out. And that, that's the way out for everyone. That's the common sentiment. And so I knew that and for a long time didn't know where to direct that hard work. And I've been finding new ways ever since. Were you able to go to college or further your education beyond high school? Right when I finished high school, I went and did an internship with a ministry just because that was something that I was passionate about at the time. So I moved to Kansas City and did that. Then a few, a couple of years later, I moved to Colorado Springs, sort of working for a, a big nonprofit out there. They eventually paid for me to go to school. So I proposed that to them as I was kind of moving around in different roles there. And they paid for me to go to school. So I have an undergrad in business with an emphasis in finance. And so you were with that not-for-profit for some period of time, I understand. Yeah, I was there for 10 years. And I actually quit three times in the midst of that 10 years and, ca- and came back. And it seemed to, to, to work, you know, came back in kind of a different phase of life in a different, like having stepped away and grown some and come back. And that, that seemed to work really well. And now you're living in Florida. Yeah, we're in the Tampa, Florida area. Wonderful. And we're going to talk a lot about your business today. And I don't expect you to be the spokesperson for your generation any more than I'm a spokesperson for my generation. Sure. You know, but there's difference. I think every generation has strived for, you know, a good, solid, middle-class standard of living. Home ownership would be part of that. A, you know, adequate food, transportation, security in old age, healthcare and the like, education for children. Every generation 
has had to strive. Every generation has had opportunities. Every generation has had challenges. You can't go back to the beginning of time. I suppose we could, but I don't think we'd find much different. The World War II generation, they and their parents faced the Great Depression. They faced aggressive enemies in Japan and in the Axis powers. They returned to build a middle class in America and did, I think, a terrific job with that. Baby boomers, which I am a part of, we kind of grew up in a golden age. The economy in the United States was booming. The United States had the only modern factories on the planet. Uh, Consumers had money in their pocket from working during the war years, but couldn't spend it because of rationing. And we, we as boomers were the beneficiaries of the schools and hospitals and roads and infrastructure that were built. It was, it was some very, very good times. And then around 1980, we start having the international competition chipping into the automotive industry and that social contract for baby boomers to have a middle-class standard of living was at risk, just like every generation. In each generation, people have strived and people have succeeded. When I came out of high school, Sam, which was a long time ago, if I had a high school diploma and a decent work ethic, I could go to the Ford plant or the General Motors plan or Chrysler, yeah. get a union job and have a great middle-class standard of living in exchange for some hard work. Did you have that opportunity as a member of the millennial generation? In a very different way. you know. I think if I would have, so looking at a lot of my peers that I went to high school with that work for a lot of the major oil companies now that have offices where I, in the town I grew up in, they're welders or safety inspectors and they make a good, good Middle-class living. In Oklahoma, middle-class living means you have toys, you have the boat, and you have the ATV and those kind of things, and that you're not worried. You're not worried about money. In a very different way, something that happened in my generation, I was just talking to a friend yesterday, we had this shift where we started to care about what impact we made. You know, I don't, you remember that about 10 years ago, it was like the accusation toward the millennials is all they care about is changing the world. They don't care about money. And I I feel like that's kind of disappeared. And maybe as the millennials have gotten a little older, they've just maybe focused on themselves a little bit more. But I feel like still achieving whatever middle-class standard that that the millennials have is different. There's a different path for everyone. And it doesn't exist in the same way. You're you're completely right. There's not a clear path for me or any of my peers. Life is much more complicated, I believe. It is. For your generation uh, than it was for mine. Although we were schooled like the World War II generation and by the World War II generation is to have faith, faith in something bigger than yourself, generally a religious faith. We were schooled to contribute to your community, which we did. There were lots of civic organization, lots of ways to contribute, to help those in need to help those that might be handicapped, to help those uh, who might be discriminated against. So there was service there. And at the same time, I think it it was a simpler time until we started running into the 1980s in terms of how to execute that social contract to get money in exchange for our labors. And we were just at the beginning where that split between the physical labor and knowledge workers was just beginning with the advent of the major computers. Yeah, my father, who's 63 this year, you know, I grew up seeing him work hard. I think of my dad, I think of 
as a kid seeing him sweat through leather gloves. I think of like hard work, but still he was going and putting on a tie and going and selling insurance and going to his Lions Club meetings every Tuesday for lunch. And he was kind of that stereotypical person you're talking about that was engaged in those kind of ways. And he's always encouraged me, like, don't do it like me. Follow follow your gut, follow your curiosity. Like there's, there's a, a more fun way to do this. Well, you certainly had a good example of work ethic, faith, and also contributing to the community, which I think carries through to generations. And it's not uncommon for a younger generation to think that the preceding generation didn't care so much. But, you know, people are people. When I was growing up also, we were told, don't be a victim. Don't be a complainer. You're never going to get any place by being a victim. We were schooled to take care of our health, particularly tobacco and excess alcohol. And also, you know, that's lots of different recreational drugs coming into the fore. Yeah. And, And I can tell you, sadly, all the things we were told, I've seen that actually play out with earlier deaths from those that didn't take care of their health. Sure. What experiences did your generation get and how were you schooled and what did you see among your peer group? Yeah, that's a great question. What are those those primary things? It was kind of a broad topic, but victimhood, taking care of oneself from a healthy standpoint and striving versus finding excuses. And that's something that's always rooted very deep in me and especially growing up in blue collar America. That that ownership and and ethic and like effort put forth is rewarded, and whether or not you get help along the way isn't really a factor. Of course, everybody gets help along the way, and I always actually saw my parents reaching out and helping. Whether that was when I was in eighth grade, they invited a senior in high school from our church to live with us because he was going to have to work and quit sports and quit other all the things he was doing as a high school senior if he didn't find a place to live. That didn't turn out well. He threw a big party when we were gone for spring break. He crashed the truck. It's like it didn't. It didn't. It doesn't always turn out well when you like reach and help people. But I saw that very, very modeled in terms of looking at the world. And you've been a successful business person, and it's probably a great opportunity for us to have you tell the audience about what you're up to today and how you got to that point or this point. So in the midst of working for that nonprofit in Colorado for 10 years, I often thought that re- some, something in real estate was next for me. So the pandemic came along and I had always kind of told my boss, I was working for the CFO at the time. I had told them occasionally, hey, I think I'm going to move to Florida this year. But didn't happen. The next year, I'm like, it might be this year. And the, what I was thinking, I was so loyal to them that I didn't want them to be left in a really tough spot. So then the pandemic happened. Some of their funding backed off for a while. They had to do a lot of layoffs and the CFO called me and he said, Hey Sam, I would love for you to stay. If you could stay a year, I want you to take over the finance team. Otherwise, let's just, we can lay you off here in a few months and you can go to Florida. So my wife and I thought about that, prayed about it and decided to just make the jump, move down here to where, where my wife grew up and jump into real estate. A big advantage, and this is part of that, that middle-class thinking is I had bought a house in Colorado when it, while we lived in it. We flipped it. We, we updated a lot of things. We were able to pull a lot of cash out of that when we, when we moved. So ju- jumping into real estate, I wasn't scared. I wasn't scared to like 
how how to pay the bills. So I was able to approach it from a very cur- a very curious perspective, a very long term focused perspective. And in real estate, there's so many shiny objects. There's so many ways to generate leads, as in all sales businesses. But real estate is a very unique one. I eventually came across YouTube as a lead source. So actually getting on camera, talking about an area, it fits into the category of content marketing. So our channel, Living in Tampa, it's just me on camera talking about the area, showing the area, talking about pros and cons, talking about like very granular things and very big things about the area. And then in the midst of that, asking for business. So saying, hey, I am a realtor in the area, would love to help you. The, the advantage in all of this is that people get to know me before they reach out. So when people reach out to me, they fall into a couple of different categories. They're, they're either in a hurry, they like me as a person, or they're a genuine fan. Sometimes people are like, yeah, we watch you on TV. We, we, we put it up on our TV every night. We've, we've watched 60 of your videos. I'm like, wow, that's interesting because I, I don't know you yet, but let's let's get to know each other. How do people find you on YouTube? Because you do have very high quality videos that you're putting out. So YouTube is a search engine. So by approaching it like a search engine, thinking about what, what are people searching? And there's all kinds of tools to use for this. And when people go on YouTube, they're often trying to learn. And this is not just millennials. This is across the user base. They want to learn and they're okay with long videos that explain something, that teach them something, especially for something like moving across the country. So by, by trying to get into that person's mind, I was, I've been able to build content as sharing my experience of moving across the country too. I kind of thought of this as a little bit of an unfair advantage. I'm not a, I'm not a local trying to sell the area. I just moved here. I know what it's like to move here. Let me help you. I see. So the uh, video series are called things like getting to know Tampa or getting to know Pinellas County. What are some of the titles on, on your YouTube videos? Yeah. So the, the top video by far is one of my first videos. It's just cost of living in Tampa, Florida. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it has almost 30,000 views. And I watched it and I'm like embarrassed by it because it was so long ago. I know I need to remake it. But yeah, so cost of living, pros and cons of Tampa, um, reasons why not to move. Some of those things perform really well. So you're kind of playing two games at once on YouTube. You're trying to get the clicks and you're trying to like build rapport with an audience. So you kind of have to do both things at once. That's that's great. Well, uh, clearly that cost of living in Tampa has got to be updated because the cost of living um, is rising again. Right. And I was actually talking with a, a fellow of about your age and saying, well, this inflation, you know, we've never seen anything like that. And I said, well, let me explain something to you. When I was a young father and our mortgage was 10.8% and I had found a job, but it was 35 miles away, which was a long commute for Michigan. It's an hour commute, plus or minus. And we couldn't move because the mortgage rates were at 13%. So we couldn't afford to buy a house and no one could afford to buy our rather modest home. And uh, gasoline prices were going up, but at least we were past the gasoline lines of the 1970s that we experienced. And so here we go again into inflation, which is another obstacle that people of your generation are facing. So my father also bought a house in those early 80s, and his interest rate was 17% in Denver. But why did why did him and you buy a house then? Needed a place to live. Why not rent? Because our home ownership was a thing that we 
we're willing to sacrifice and strive for. Yeah. Do you think that's shifting? In some markets, I believe it is because I think there's more financial sophistication in certain places where people are saying, I want an asset light lifestyle. They don't want to own. They want to be able to move. Uh, They want to be able to get things fixed by the landlord. They don't want to have to worry about it's time to put on a new roof or a new driveway and the like. Sure. So yeah, I see that from time to time. Yeah, it's happening. On your videos, which are are quite good, I highly recommend them. And that's how I met Sam and getting to know you. Tell us about your massive production staff and all the people that are in your employ to put out this highly qualified product. Yeah, I am not a fan of overhead and staff. Going into this, I was not thinking, I want to lead a team. I want to hire. I've done this by myself. I started it from my iPhone 12 Pro, you know, I went did the big investment to like upgrade my phone to to get it started. And I've upgraded my gear since then, but it's been me the whole time and I've, you know, started to explore outsourcing some parts of it, but but never in thinking of hiring. Always thinking of how do I keep this lean? How do I use virtual assistants in other countries, in other states? And, and run it that way. So this is one of the things that I think is fascinating about today's economy is that there is a cloud service for just about everything. Yeah. And one of the things that I've learned in business is that you've got to keep your expenses down while you're driving that top line. And you don't need to go hire someone to be a receptionist to sit in the front of your office and answer the phone and greet people. You don't need somebody to process the U.S. mail. You don't need to hire a payroll company or get a payroll clerk because all of these services are available online. So instead of a person looking for a job doing those things, you became the person that created a business leveraging the technology of the times. And Was there reading or how did you get to the philosophy of doing such a sensible thing and making such a great living out of it? Sure. You know, a lot of that goes back to basics in this, in this genre, like four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, where he talks about, and he's not really meaning a four hour work week. He's meaning a a passive leveraged business that is, is leveraging people with that have higher skills in certain areas, have lower pay in other countries. All these things can, all these pieces can be put together to kind of design a life that is fun. And so I I really approached this whole thing, starting with what I want to feel. And this, this is where I probably sound like a millennial. I approached it by saying, I want to feel calm and safe. And I want to intentionally spend my energy in the ways that I choose. Mm -hmm. And I want to seek out opportunities through challenges and new connections every single day. Okay, then working backwards from that, how do I get there? I need time to do all those things. And I started to build this business without me in mind, without me running it and and thinking outside of the business very early on, not thinking of myself as the CEO ever. I would step out and be a creative director or something like that before I would ever be a CEO. And when, when I just remove myself from it, it's easier for me to build it in a non-emotional way. So let me play that back to you a little bit. You had a vision, you had goals, and, and you said, this is where I want to end up. Here's where I am. How do I connect those? 
I think that's a fabulous life lesson for anybody of any age. And, you know, you hear the questions, where do you want to be in 10 years, 15 years, 20? Yeah. My experience has been this. If I ask somebody, where do you want to be in 10 years? And they go, well, where I want to be, I can never get there because life's not fair. And yeah. there was a president 50 years ago that did something that's made it impossible for me or somebody else had a wealthy family or whatever it might be. It's like, okay, guess what? You're not getting any place. Whereas people that say, yeah, this is what I want to create. What do I have to do to get there? Because I'm not getting there if I don't overcome the obstacles. Absolutely. And whenever I got into real estate, it was the beginning of a pandemic, which my generation has never experienced. I moved to a new market where I have some in-laws, but they don't have a lot of connections. So I was jumping in pretty blind to this. And then everyone was telling me it's so hard right now. The real estate market's not normal. Just wait. And my approach, my thought was, just because it's not normal doesn't mean I can't succeed in it. The rules have changed. Let me figure out what those rules are. I'll play by the new rules. I don't care about the old rules. And I'll find a way to build a successful business in the midst of this. And I love what you just said there, playing by the new rules, because the things that got my generation going in terms of how to work aren't there. I remember talking with a good friend of mine who had a daughter about the age of my kids, and he was trying to say, oh, she needs to go find a job that has benefits because that's how you make it in life. And I'm looking all around us, and corporate America is stripping employees off the payroll, either through automation, outsourcing. And when I mean outsourcing, not necessarily offshoring, uh, but by way of example, the custodians that used to take care of bank buildings, they worked for that bank. They were proud to be members of that bank's workforce. Now it's, you know, ABC janitorial services. That pathway that my generation got there isn't going to work for yours because you have different rules, but you still have, I'm hearing a lot of the same things. You had faith in something bigger than yourself. Yeah. You're serving your community. You created marketable skills. You had a great work ethic and a no-quit attitude. You talked about money management, not spending money you don't have. And uh, it seems to me that you're setting up for future generations. And I know that's very near to your house, being a father. And even basic things like, so my wife and I drive used cars, and it's just kind of a value to us. And she's Greek, so which also means... She's extremely frugal. I'm extremely grateful for that. I came to her recently. We're making pretty good money right now. And I said, hey, let's get you a new car. A minivan would be really nice with the kids right now. And she came back to me and she said, I kind of like that my car is not perfect. I kind of like the struggle of it. And that that shapes, that shows you some of the way we think as a family too, that we like to embrace challenges. And the way I do this regularly is through something like CrossFit. So I go and like work out, do an insane workout every most days of the week with a group of people. The other day I was doing a workout with a 20 pound vest on running out in the Florida sun with a 20 pound vest on. And in the midst of that, I asked myself like, what am I doing? Like, what is, what's my goal in the midst of this? So much of it is putting myself in difficult situations intentionally so that when they come along unintentionally, I'm calm 
and I'm safe and I can make the best next decision. I think that shows a lot of wisdom and the way that you're managing your health. And what happens later in life to many of us, it happened to me, is that I carry a permanent 20 pound weight around. <laughs> sure. It's just kind of all over the place now. Yeah. So that's, uh, and, and you have to be smart about what the right type of health is. Sam, you've got a great philosophy for the current world. As we start thinking about wrapping up, what books or streaming services or anything in particular that influenced you? And and I'm going to ask this in a very pointed way, if I may. Take that person that says, woe is me. I can't get ahead under these conditions. It was way easier for those guys back there. Yeah. How would you tell them to break out of that thinking? It's a great question. So the, the two most impactful books that I've really been able to apply to my life in this way. Number one is called Nonviolent Communication. This is by psychologists. It's very like relational, but by creating this new communication style in my home, and really what nonviolent communication is about is about not projecting your own feelings onto someone else and blaming someone else for your own feelings. And he, this is mostly in a mar- like a marital context. So my wife and I have implemented this. But once you go, once you start to be honest with yourself about how much you're blaming someone else for your feelings and your circumstances, you see it all the time. And it takes so much practice to mm-hmm. not do that. Because our the zeitgeist now does it for us. It's wanting us to be victims. It's wanting us to be outraged about something. But to be calm and centered and having have my own thoughts that are not just antithetical to someone else's thoughts is the is being atypical now. And I tell my wife this all the time, like, hey, if, if we want to be different than the people around us and the people that we see, we have to do things differently. And maybe maybe we have to do everything differently. And that's okay. It might feel uncomfortable sometimes, but if we want to be differently, we have to do things differently. So nonviolent communication, number one. And then second, there's a book called Extreme Ownership, which is a pretty popular business book by Jocko Willink, retired Navy SEAL. And his his mindset is very mission focused. So the reason to not blame someone or, or be a victim is because it doesn't help you achieve your mission. If your mission is to succeed in some way, whatever that looks like to you, mm-hmm. by, by slowing down, by, by giving someone else the power over your circumstances by claiming victimhood, you lose. You lose the mission. Where if you were just to swallow it, to move on, to say, it doesn't matter. Like that person's words aren't going to influence like with the direction I'm moving. That changes everything. This shows a lot of wisdom. And one of the tenets that I've lived by is that I just don't do excuses. And the problem with excuses is that they're unlimited and they just don't matter. You're either going to get it done or you're going to get it not done. And somebody will always have a reason to not get something done. This is a great insight, and I hope that we get a lot of viewers and listeners and readers to review this episode. Sam, what didn't we talk about today that perhaps we should have spent a little time on? Sure. Yeah, one thing I have written down, I I think the bi- one of the biggest things in this, and, and it's kind of in the background of, of, of all of your episodes, it's the difference between nuanced thinking and black and white thinking. And, you know, our very bipartisan world is very black and white, one side or the other. But if we let ourselves just be a little nuanced in the way we view ourselves, in the way we view our, our the people around us, in the way we view our lives, and realize that, hey, we're I'm going to a destination. I don't have to, like, have 
have no progress or finished. Like that's that's not how life works. Like the journey is is the the part of life that you actually have control over. And everybody has what they need right now to start. Whatever they want to do, if they want to build a business or, you know, create a new art career, like whatever it is, everybody has the tools they need to start. And and by by throwing out some black and white thinking, by embracing some nuance, I think people will feel a lot more empowered. I I can't remember where I read this or heard this. And I'm a pretty voracious consumer of podcasts and books and we don't have TV in our house. So like that's, we, we turn to the written page a lot for, but someone said the, the highest sign of intelligence is holding two opposing thoughts in your head and not resolving them. Indeed. And actually had an early podcast on exactly that topic, holding two thoughts in one's head. And you also, when I was listening to you talk, reminded me there's a Beatles song, We Can Work It Out. That might be a great theme for you as you progress in your career. But what you've done is amazing. Building a business based on a life of faith, a tremendous work ethic, creating value, getting a goal, plotting your future. And you've got a lot more future ahead than, than I do, frankly. And I, sure. I think you'll be very successful and I can see you influencing many other people in such a positive way. Sam, any closing thoughts for the audience of The Common Bridge today? You know, when I look at the impact I want to make on people, I was talking to my brother-in-law the other day who was considering a new job opportunity. I just want to encourage people to bet on themselves. You know, when we spend time second guessing, like, well, what would my parents think? We, we, we let all these voices come in our head, whether it's a family member or even you know, a, a famous voice that is giving us feedback or an author, we, we've got to find a way to shut out those voices and just bet on ourselves. Because you have the creativity, you have the, the spark in you to do whatever you want. And so many people just spend time thinking like, ah, I don't, I don't think I can do it, or it's too risky, or just go for it. Or it's too hard, or I'd have to move out of my community or any of those things. And we've had migration. When I was a youth, people were migrating from the South to come to the industrial Midwest to work. And then as international competition caught up and investments weren't made, people left what was then called the Rust Belt for the Sun Belt. And people went to California, land of opportunity. And now California is emptying out based on a lot of that around that partisanship that you spoke about. And as you know, from listening to my podcast, that the greatest threat I think that we have is this binary thinking and coupled with the media environment that does want to get people outraged. Yeah, that's their goal. Indeed. We've been talking today with Sam Cottle on the ways that a millennial with focus can apply their skills to create a great future. The Common Bridge is available free on most podcast outlets, including Amazon, Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and others. You'll find us on YouTube TV, and most importantly, on substack.com. Just look up The Common Bridge. You'll hear the podcast, get the full video, transcriptions, columns, guest columnists, and our monthly newsletter. And so with our guest, from Florida, Sam Caudle. This is Rich Helpy signing off on The Common Bridge. Thanks for joining us on The Common Bridge. Please subscribe to The Common Bridge on Substack.com 
where you can find more interviews, columns, podcasts, video, and other nonpartisan discussions to the problems of today. On Substack, you can access the full archive and bonus columns, podcasts, and interviews for only $5 a month. Please go to Substack.com and search for The Common Bridge and subscribe.